Well, good morning. How are you today? Got a lot of stuff going up on stage. I'm very afraid I'm going to spill these, by the way, just so you know. I'm very afraid. Um, I, I think everyone, uh, everyone has that one friend in life that loves dogs a little too much, right? I think you can all picture that person in your mind, that one person who just like, it's a little over the line. Maybe you're that person. Uh, You're welcome here today. Uh, This is a safe place for you. Uh, When I think about my life and who that person is, it is 100% my wife, Danielle. Uh, She loves dogs, but sometimes just a little too much. Just to illustrate how much she loves dogs, uh, she used to keep a little Ziploc bag of treats in her car just in case she saw a stray dog. So she can lure the dog to herself um, and, and like bring the dog back to its owner if it has its tags. And uh, she would, several years ago, we lived in the city of Lockport, and there were like uh, several times she would come home and she'd tell me about how she rescued this dog. And I always thought that was pretty cool, except one time she told me the story of uh, she saw a dog hanging out on the sidewalk. Uh, naturally, she pulls over the car to, uh, to go rescue this dog. The dog, uh, when it sees Danielle, kind of a uh, little skittish, and it goes from the sidewalk to the house that it was in front of, uh, goes to the backyard. Danielle follows this dog to the backyard. Um, <laughs> you see where this is going? She follows the dog onto the back porch. She, her keychain had a little lanyard, so she's standing on the porch. She leashes the dog with her lanyard, and now she's standing on someone's back porch with a leashed dog who is not hers when the owner of the house comes out and is asking, why are you stealing my dog? She, she rescued a dog from its own front yard. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you rescue a dog from its own yard, you might, that might be a sign you love dogs just a little too much. Um, it, it's safe to say that she got the whole dog rescuing thing wrong, and it led to an embarrassing situation for her. A uh, funny situation for me, because I get to tell the story to a few hundred people this Sunday, and she did give me permission to tell this story. Uh, but I, I'm just grateful it was just an embarrassing situation, because you do that at some houses, and you might get shot or something. Uh, But it it all turned out good. But uh, the truth is, is we get things wrong all the time. All the time we get things wrong. And what I want to talk about today and the title of today's message is when Christians get it wrong. How and why sometimes Christians get it wrong. And uh, there's this famous quote that Gandhi once said, and maybe you've heard it before, but he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ." Uh, I don't know about you, but I've felt that way before. Uh, Never across the board or anything, but there's been a time or two where uh, I've seen someone act in a certain way, and I think, I I like the one that you say you worship. In fact, I worship him too, but I'm having a hard time liking you because you're not acting anything like the one that you worship. And I I think what breaks my heart the most is that I know others have felt that way about me. Uh, I've done things, I've said things, I've reacted to things that probably didn't look a whole lot like Jesus. We probably all have. And in fact, when you look at our culture today and how our culture feels about Christianity, it may not be all that different from how Gandhi felt. And typically, the, uh, the disdain from the world about Christianity usually has nothing to do with Jesus. They usually have no problem with Jesus. The problem comes in how his followers act and what 
they do. Have you ever asked yourself why that is? Now, obviously, it's not our, all our faults. Uh, the Bible is very clear that we will have trouble in this world, that the way of Christianity is the narrow road. Uh, so that's never going to uh, be good in everyone's mind. But Jesus also said that our reputation and the way we would be known would be our love more than anything else. So I have a theory about how and why Christians get it wrong uh, that I want to share with you today. And uh, it starts with an understanding of something very important about Jesus. Uh, So let's look at our memory verse for today. And let's read this out loud all together, you online as well. John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Uh, I, I think what happens sometimes is when we view Jesus and we view these two attributes of Jesus, we view them as separate attributes. Like sometimes Jesus is full of grace and uh, he's loving and he, he's, he, he just loves us and wants the best for us. And sometimes we view him as just a, a person of grace. And sometimes we view him as someone of truth, of accountability, of discipline. And sometimes it's, we, we think, I know I do, that's, uh, that God operates sometimes just from grace and sometimes just from truth, as if they're two separate attributes of Jesus. But the truth is, is that Jesus is the perfect embodiment of these two things. So much more than just a balancing act. He's not balancing grace and truth, and he's not choosing when to be graceful and when to be truthful. He is a perfect embodiment of the two things. And he's completely something different. You can't separate the grace and the truth of Jesus. Uh, I think it's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, but when it comes to us and following Jesus, the truth is, is we don't always get this right. So back to my theory for a moment, I I think the reason why Gandhi uh, liked Jesus but not his followers, and part of the reason why Christianity hasn't always had the greatest of reputations in history is we have a tendency to live in one of the two extremes. Uh, If we're all truth, we can come across as mean and judgmental and sometimes just out of touch with this world. But if we're all grace, it can come across like nothing we do matters. Like you do you and I'll do me and we just won't worry about what each other are doing. And uh, we can live on one of the two extremes, which can lead to two very real problems. The first is this, is that truth without grace leads to rebellion. <laughs> we've, we've all seen this one. We've seen the households that is a very religious household, lots of rules, lots of legalism, and what happens with the children? They grow up and they rebel. In fact, if you want to guarantee your children grow up and rebel one day, lead your house with religion and legalism and rules without any focus on relationship. This can also look, uh, lead to someone knowing the Bible really well, but not necessarily doing what it says. So some live on this extreme, but the other extreme is not the answer either, because uh, grace without truth leads to relativism. This leads to a worldview with no standards, no absolute truth, a tendency to completely disregard the Bible. And what's interesting, I think, is 
we tend to want grace for ourselves and truth for other people. Like when I mess up, like I, I want you to forgive me quickly. I want you to extend grace to me. Like we're all human. We all make mistakes. Can't you just forgive me? But when someone else messes up, we think accountability. Like someone needs to hold that person accountable. Someone needs to tell that person that they are in the wrong. We especially see that with our kids. Like if, if my kid sells your kid drugs one day, she's only two, by the way, so it's not going to happen yet. But if one day she sells your kids drugs, I, I'm going to be asking for grace. Like she's just a kid. Can't, can't you forgive her? Can't you extend grace? Everyone makes mistakes at some point. But man, if your kid sells my kid drugs, it's going to get real. Like we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about some truth and accountability. And we're going to press charges maybe. So we want grace for ourselves and truth for, for other people. And this is why I believe this is so important. Why we as Christians can't be all grace and no truth and not all truth without grace. And the, the simple thing is this, is that grace saves and truth frees. Both extremely important and both a huge aspect of Christianity, but they do different things. Grace saves and truth frees. I'm going to move these before I spill them. Like I said, it's been a fear all day. Get those out of the way. Uh, so we're going to break this down, talk about grace and then truth and why they're different and why they're both needed. But let's start with a definition of grace. Grace is simply this. It's the undeserved kindness, favor, and goodwill of God. The undeserved kindness, favor, and goodwill of God. Just to demonstrate a, a story of grace that I experienced one time. Uh, during the five years between the age of 16 and 21, uh, I got pulled over for speeding a lot. Like, I had a lead foot. It was like every four to six months I would get pulled over for speeding. And the very last time I got pulled over for speeding, uh, it was by far the fastest I ever drove. Uh, I, I got pulled over. I was scared to death. I was driving on the 990. Um, and, and again, I was scared to death. We're talking about a speed uh, that I could have easily lost my license over. And I was 100% in the wrong. I knew I was wrong the officer came to the window. He asked for my license. I hand it to him. Uh, he asked me, he said, do you have, you have any idea how fast you were going? I said, not exactly, but I have a rough idea, and it wasn't good. And then he handed me my license back. He said, when I was your age, I did the exact same thing. He said, make this your last time. I said, yes, sir, and then he, he just let me off. Uh, a time where I, I literally could have lost my license, been taken away by the police officer. He extended undeserved kindness, favor, and goodwill to me that day. He extended what grace to me that day. And the interesting thing is, like I said, I got pulled over a lot between the ages of 16 and 21. I got the speeding tickets. I got the fines. I got the points on my license. I had to attend driving school several times, but it never stopped me from speeding. I would always, maybe for a couple months, I would stop speeding, but eventually the lead foot would take over. What finally got through to me was grace. It's grace that saves. See, sometimes I think it's my responsibility to change people. Like, I have to correct people. I have to tell them the truth, correct them, hold them accountable. And yes, there is a time for that, and we'll get to that in a moment. But did you know it is not truth that saves us? It's grace that saves us. Look at what Paul said in Romans 2, 3, and 4. 
He said, so when you, a mere human being, uh, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Not the truth, but God's kindness, his grace, is what's intended to leave us to repentance. Paul another time says this in the, in the book of Ephesians. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, again, it's grace that saves us. This verse couldn't be any clearer that it has nothing to do with what we do with the truth. It has nothing to do with our works. It is by grace through faith. It's a free gift from God. Now you might be asking yourself then, so where are the standards? Shouldn't there be some standards in Christianity? Well, Paul addresses this as well. He says in Romans 6, he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What's interesting about this text is Paul is not talking to people who don't know Christ. Paul is talking to those who have already received the grace of Jesus. He's not using this, he's not telling people who are not Christians to stop sinning. He's telling those who have already received God's grace. And this is why I bring this up. Because I think the order is important. Back to our memory verse, how did Jesus come? He came full of grace and truth. I don't believe there's a lot of coincidences in the scripture. I believe Paul intentionally ordered these words, grace and truth. And I, I found it best to lead with grace and then proclaim truth. To start with grace and then proclaim truth. And here's why. Because grace leads to relationship, which softens the heart for truth. Grace builds a bridge for relationship, which softens the heart for truth. Uh, many of you know this, but my, my favorite hobby in the world is golfing. Uh, I love to golf. It's just, it's three hours or so of no distractions, no responsibilities uh, outside. I just love going golfing. And if you don't know anything about golf, typically what they do when you go to the course is they send you out in groups of four. Uh, they'll never send you out in a bigger group than four. Sometimes they'll let you go out as a, uh, by yourself or just two or three people. Uh, but if you go on a busy day and you just show up with you and one other person, chances are they will pair you up with another two people. It just keeps the flow of the day going for the golf course, which I typically don't mind. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily an extrovert, but I, I do enjoy uh, talking to people and meeting different people. But there's one thing that drives me absolutely crazy when I get paired up with a stranger, and that's when a stranger wants to give me golf advice. Even if they are a better golfer than me, even if their advice is true and I know it, it's just not going to be helpful in the moment. Like that is not the time to, to completely fix your swing. Uh, but there's one thing, or two people that I don't mind when they give me advice, and that would be Pastor Rick and his son, Mark. The reason is because we golf all the time together. They know my strengths. They know my tendencies they know that almost without doubt, the first two holes, my first shot's going to go to the right. My second shot is going to be a little short of the green because I'm still warming up. I, I don't stretch before I golf. Maybe I should. 
But the first couple holes, like I have a three-quarter swing. I, I'm not getting my full swing in until maybe the third hole. So I'm, I'm, I'm still warming up. They know not to correct my swing right off the bat. But if maybe after six holes, I'm still doing the same thing, they know my swing well enough to know what's wrong with my swing. And they might just say, hey, your, your, your front foot's off or your, your back swing's wrong or something like that. And uh, I, I don't mind that advice. Why? Because we have a relationship, because we golf together, because I trust them. So lead with grace, build a relationship before proclaiming truth. This is an area I think Christians have gotten it wrong, not all the time and not everyone, but sometimes we just get this wrong. We use the strategy of truth first. We try to correct a behavior without any grace. But people need to know, and Pastor Rick says this all the time, people need to know how much you care before they care about how much you know. I know I get it wrong sometimes. Uh, It's an easy trap to fall into. Sometimes this looks like Christians trying to hold people who aren't Christians to the same standard that they hold themselves, to to uphold the same values that we have. Uh, I have a good friend. He is not a Christian. He swears constantly. Uh, we all have friends like that where they, for some reason, have to uh, add a swear word into every sentence that they say. And that's this friend of mine. Uh, he, he would occasionally, he would just catch himself and he would apologize. He'd be like, oh, Brian, I'm sorry. I shouldn't swear in front of a pastor. And I would say, yeah, you're right. And I would give him the finger. No, just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine if I did? No, I wouldn't do that. But I would respond. I would say, you're not going to offend me. Why? Because he has no relationship with Jesus. He's not a Christian. Why would I hold him to the same standards that I hold myself when my standards are based in my faith? He probably doesn't know that the book of James talks about how blessings and curses should not come from the same mouth. He probably doesn't know all the verses in Proverbs that talk about the power of the tongue. And if he did, he wouldn't care. If I tried to hold him to the same standard that I hold myself, you know what would happen? I'd build a wall in that friendship. I wouldn't build a bridge. I'd build a wall. Chances are he probably wouldn't want to be around me if all I'm doing is proclaiming truth without any grace. See, it's grace that leads to repentance. It is by grace we've been saved. Grace builds bridges. Now, we can't just ignore truth. There is a time for truth. So to talk about that, I just want to look at this story in the Bible of how Jesus, how he fully embodies grace and truth in one short story. It's John chapter 8. Uh, it's a story where these religious leaders, they catch a woman in the act of adultery. They take her to Jesus. They lay her at his feet. And they say this. They say, teacher, talking to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? See, what the religious leaders were trying to do, or they were trying to trap Jesus. Uh, all throughout Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders, they, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They were trying to stop him and silence him. So this was an opportunity for them to trap him. Because they knew two things. They knew if he ignored the law of Moses, he would lose all credibility because he, he came as someone who was a, a fulfillment of the law, not someone who would uh, disregard the law. So he couldn't ignore the law. But they also knew that if he accepted this law and they gave them permission to stone her, 
that he would lose his reputation of someone of love and compassion and of grace. So the religious leaders, they thought this was a win-win situation. Regardless of how Jesus responded, they thought they were going to trap Jesus. But look at how he answers. He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It's a genius answer. Because he upholds the law, yet still extends grace. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus strained up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. By the way, Jesus was the only one in the situation without sin. He was the only one that could have thrown the stone. But Jesus says, Then neither do I condemn you. It's grace. Jesus declared, Now go and listen, go and leave your life of sin. There's truth. He led with grace. And then he proclaimed truth. Grace saves and truth frees. Let me explain it this way. Jesus loves you and accepts you exactly who you are and where you are and wherever, whatever your past is. Jesus accepts you exactly how you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. He will save you with grace, but it is his truth that sets us free. Let me make this as practical as I possibly can. Every, uh, in, in all, every country in the world right now, there are rows of pews or chairs of millions of people sitting in churches, listening to messages, worshiping. There's millions of people in pews and chairs today. And in some pew somewhere, there's probably a woman who is a great mother who's a, a hard worker and she does an amazing job balancing work and home life and she makes sure her kids are at church every single week and even the youth group on Wednesdays. She's just an amazing mother and a strong Christian, but she also has this friend that she loves, yet she gets really jealous of. So jealous, in fact, that it kind of turns into envy, which kind of turns into gossip. And although she's just this amazing woman she she's in need of grace and she's in need of truth and just in case this woman is here today uh, first let me tell you you belong here you are needed in a church like this we need women of God who lead their families well and you are doing an amazing job and I pray that your circumstances get better I pray that you have less of a reason to feel jealous of other people in this world but the truth is is that the Bible says that envy rots the bones. The truth is, is that the Bible talks about uh, considering others better than ourselves. So this woman, she needs grace, and she also needs truth. Next to her is probably a guy who runs a business, successful at everything he does. It just seems like every move he makes in business, he just receives the blessing of God and He's a strong leader. But part of the reason he's so successful in business is he likes money a lot. In fact, he, he could probably say that he loves money. And although he's successful in business and in successful in making money, he's not so successful in generosity. So the, the, this guy, he needs grace and truth. And if this person is here today, let me say that you are needed 
The world needs strong leaders who can lead well, who can be in the workforce and make a difference and be the lights in the world. But the truth is, is that the Bible talks a lot about money. The Bible says that money is a blessing. It's this amazing resource that we can uh, use to honor God. But it also says while money is a blessing, the love of money is the root of all evil. And it says that it is better to give than to receive. So this guy needs what? He needs grace and he needs truth. And then in some chair, some pew, somewhere, there's probably a, a guy in college who's a party animal. If he's, if there's beer, he's there. Like he's that type of guy. He's just going wherever the party is, living for the day, living for the moments. And this guy, if he's here in this church, I want you to say, this is, this is a safe place for you. This is a place that I believe that you can just experience God wherever you are and you can take your first step in a relationship with God. But the truth is, is I'm just guessing there's a hole in your heart that you're trying to fill with something other than Jesus. You're trying to fill with uh, things of this world, things that can lead to maybe a temporary satisfaction, but nothing that will last more than the nights. My guess is you wake up feeling empty again. So this guy needs grace and truth. And then there's this guy. This guy's been walking with Jesus for a long time. For decades, he's been following God. You would call him a pretty holy guy. He leads the Bible studies. He, he's a leader in the church, and he's, he's a good Christian guy, but he's looking down the row a little judgmentally. He doesn't like how he behaves. He doesn't like how he runs his business. He doesn't like how she treats her friend. And if that person's here today, I want to say that first, you are needed in this church. We need people who know the Bible well, who have experience and wisdom. But the truth is, is that the Bible says pride often comes before the fall. That if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. But if we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. By the way, I was this person for a while. I was the person who uh, was a, a party animal in college. I was living for the moment. I, I thought that I could find satisfaction in this world. I, I thought that if I, if I just uh, had the right group of friends, if I uh, was at the right party, I thought alcohol could find, give me satisfaction. But every morning I would wake up and I would feel empty again, feeling like I had to fill my soul back up. And the truth is, is I knew a lot of truth. You, you might not have known this about me, but I, I was the number one Bible quizzer in New York State when I was in high school. I knew the Bible and I knew it really well. I knew the truth. But the more truth I knew, the more I realized I just couldn't live up to it. I, I couldn't live up to the truth. And the more I tried, the more I felt like I failed. And the more I failed, the more I was filled with shame. See, it wasn't truth that saved me. It was grace that saved me. And it wasn't until the moment that I wrapped my mind about, around what grace was that I was saved. But it was truth that set me free. So to end, I, I just want to tell you, regardless of where you are today, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, maybe this is your first time ever in a church, ever hearing the, about the grace of God. I, I want you to know that every single person in this room, we're in, the need, we're in need of grace and truth. So you are welcome here. You with your baggage, with your sin, with your past, with your addictions, you are 
welcome here. We believe that it is grace that saves and truth that sets us free. We are a church that will always lead with grace, but you'll also hear truth. And his name is Jesus. He accepts us right where we are, but again, he loves us too much to keep us there. He sets us free with his truth and he changes us. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you so much for just the ways that you, you lead with grace and you set us free with truth. I thank you for that story of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. God, someone who sometimes we think that person needs, all they need is truth, but God, you led with grace. I pray that we can just live up to that example. God, I pray that you would just forgive us for the times we get it wrong. When the times we, we build walls between people trying to lead with truth instead of grace. So God, forgive us. And God, for anyone in this room who's maybe never accepted the grace of God before, God, I, I pray that they wouldn't leave this room, this building without accepting that free gift of grace realizing it has nothing to do with our actions, nothing to do with our behavior. It's a gift that you offer for free. So God, if there's anyone in this room, I pray that they would just accept that grace today and allow the truth to set us free, the truth to make us more and more like Jesus. So God, we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.